0: But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us here together as your beloved children. And Lord, we long to be in your presence. And uh, we pray as we turn our minds and hearts to your holy word. That you would instruct us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision, a clarity about what it means to be the people of God, especially in uh, this strange time that our our world finds ourselves in, and um, we uh, pray that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us. And, uh, and so be our teacher now, and we uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to Jesus, who is our hope, our wisdom, our salvation, our joy, our glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a, a few weeks ago our, on our first Sunday meeting back in our sanctuary, uh, we had a sermon on Psalm 84 where we talked about why the church is so essential to our lives, and that's a theme that has continued to be a burden for me. That I want to continue uh, this morning as we look at James chapter five. Uh, my wife Shannon and I have been watching the Netflix uh, series about Michael Jordan, which is a goes through the the Chicago Bulls six NBA championships that they won in the in the 90s. And at the end of each episode, they'll win a one of the championships, and all the players go into the locker room, and they're all sweaty, and they take their shirts off, and they're hugging each other, celebrating. And Shannon and I are looking at like, they shouldn't be hugging like that. Like, they need to be social distancing, and they're all sweaty and touching each other. And it occurred to me that we're going to come out of this time hugging each other a lot less. We're going to be a lot more hesitant, to hug one another, and that the very etiquette of how we relate to each other is being transformed right now. And so as much as there's a need for us to take precautions about, you know, there's a real virus that's affecting us, there also has to be a part of us that is resisting that change that is going to happen to us as a pupil and how we relate to each other. And I think this is especially true in in how we experience the church. I've heard people say, maybe some of you felt this way, well, you know, I'm kind of fine just watching church on my couch at home. And what we have to realize when we say something like that, what we're saying is that what church primarily is, is information that I consume. Instead of thinking that what church is, is that God has gathered his beloved children... And through his word and sacrament, he is transforming us into the body of Christ. There is a mystical transformation happening as we gather together. And uh, we have to resist the change that is happening inside of us. How life has been over the last five months is not normal. And so how do we keep what the last five months have been, how do we keep that from becoming normal? Well, I think that one of the primary things is gathering together together. For worship, And I think that that even means for those of us among us who are, who are high risk or vulnerable, they've got to find a way to be here. And maybe even that's listening on an FM transmitter in the parking lot. But I think even that act of saying, I'm going to drive to the church and say, I am a part of that family. I am a part of that people. I am a part of the people of God. I'm a part of the body of Christ. That is my identity. I need to be reminded of that. I need to know that. I think, you know, similar if, 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 if anyone's against wearing a mask, finding a way to be here. Even if it means I'm going to be in the parking lot, I'm going to see God's people, I'm going to fellowship, I'm going I'm to hear God's word. It's a symbolic action that says, this is who I am. Um, the king of heaven and earth summons us to his throne room every Lord's Day to appear before him. It's the defining moment of our whole lives. And so I think we also need to embrace that we as a church are called to be on mission right now. If you read what the, the church fathers wrote about the epidemics in the, in the Roman Empire in the early centuries of the church, there were epidemics that happened throughout those, those early centuries. They saw those epidemics as turning points in the expansion of the church. This is the historian Rodney Starks says this, Cyprian, Dionysius, Eusebius and other church fathers thought the epidemics made major contributions to the Christian cause. Had classical society not been disrupted and demoralized by these catastrophes, Christianity might never have become so dominant a faith. He says that what Christians believed about God, what they believed about life and death, what they believed about the world, all came on display in the midst of these pandemics. And they were set right next to the pagans and the Christians. And it became clear how differently they saw the world and how differently they saw their lives. And the question for us is, is that happening right now for us? That our faith is shaping how we engage our world right now. Cyprian, the the church father, said this. How suitable, how necessary it is that this plague and pestilence which seems horrible and deadly, searches out the justice of each and every one and examines the minds of the human race. Whether the well care for the sick, whether relatives dutifully love their kinsmen as they should, whether masters show compassion for their ailing slaves, whether physicians do not desert the afflicted. Cyprian says that the epidemics would show the world loud and clear the difference between paganism and Christianity, and the pagans ran away from the sickness. The pagan physicians didn't even know what the sicknesses looked like. And the Christians went to the sick and, and cared for them. And the, the Roman world looked at them and said, who are these people, this mixture of love and courage? What kind of God do they have? It was a turning moment. And the epidemics they were facing were far more horrible and deadly than the one that we're currently facing. And those early Christians were some strange, mix, strange mixture of caring for people and risk a love for the weak they love the weak and courage I think that same strange mixture is what we are called to as God's people right now am I saying that we don't do what we can to be safe it's not what I'm saying God's law commands us to do what we can to keep visitors safe. You know, if you have a house, you have to have a parapet wall so people don't fall off your roof. We as a house, we, you know, we, t- we are taking precautions because we want to be safe. What, I'm, what I am saying is we are not free to halt the mission of God because of this virus. And we put, we put the pause button on for a little bit. That pause button can't stay on. The, the, the worship of Almighty God cannot stop. It is time for mission. And this passage that we're looking at in James, I think, gives such a beautiful description of of what our community is, the community that is formed in, in, in Jesus. And so this morning I want to say three things about why we need the church. Because it's a house of prayer, it's a house of healing, and it's a house of righteousness. Why we need the church, three things from James. It's a house of prayer, it's a house of healing, and it's a house of righteousness. And I hope this just gives us part of a vision of, for why what we're doing and what our mission is is so important. So first, it's a house of prayer. And in some ways this passage is largely about prayer. And you'll see that the prayer in this passage is communal. You see the language of if there's anyone among you and do this for one another. You hear what it says, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Verse 18. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain. It's just prayer, 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 prayer. This is describing a community that is saturated with prayer. And why is prayer so important a part of our life together? Because prayer is how you commune with God. The center of our fellowship and communion is knowing God, is communion with him. And prayer is how we commune with God. And when people come into this house, into these people, they're going to experience communion with God. They're going to know him. And so the thing that binds us together is not our personalities, it's not our hobbies, it's not our political views. It's that we are a people who know God in Christ. We know him. And so we need the church because it's a house of prayer for all people. And if there was ever a time we needed, that is now. And this passage gives some interesting special instructions to the, about the elders of the church praying for people. Maybe you caught that there in Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So this says the, the elders of the church are supposed to be called when someone is sick to come pray for them and to uh, place oil on them, maybe you know, put oil on their forehead or maybe a, a part of the body that is, that is ailed. And to pray in the name of the Lord, and you might wonder, do we do that as a church? And I, I'm embarrassed to say I've only done it twice in the eleven years I've been a pastor. I will say both people that we anointed with oil recovered from what we were praying for them for. We should do this more. And it might be easy. You might say, well, our elders need to pray for come pray and anoint people with oil, and I do that more and. I, I will accept that charge. But also you should accept the charge that this verse is commanded to the congregation. You see what it says in verse 14. Is anyone sick and anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. It's a command to you all. And I know that's hard when you're sick. You know, we you know, we got things going on maybe in our bodies and we're like, I'm not sure I want people to know about this. Or, you know, I want to keep this to myself. This is saying, Call the leaders in the church and say, I want you to come over and pray for me in the name of the Lord. And James says in, in, in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. When we pray, we should expect that people experience healing. Now, does that happen kind of mechanically that when you put oil on someone, they're automatically going to be healed? Well, I, there's a pastor I know who who has written about this who said, He's anointed many people with oil over his decades as a pastor. And actually, the first time he did it, he felt power come out of his body, and the the man was immediately healed. Um, That didn't happen frequently. Normally, people would recover, you know, over time with medical treatment. Other people experienced spiritual healing and spiritual renewal through that prayer. Um, But I think it depends on the kind of healing that God wants to perform in a person. And that might be different in each kind of person. And so that's the second thing that we see in this passage. So why do we need the church? We need it because it's a house of prayer, a, a place for communion with God. That's the defining thing of our community is communion with God. The second thing is that the church is a house of healing. Church, it is a house of healing. And the mention of healing comes in the next verse, second part of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, they're going to, this is kind of an interesting verse because it seems to be describing someone who's come to the elders, called the elders, hey, will you pray for me? I'm sick. And then when the elders come, they confess their sins to the elders while the elders are there. And you might say, well, is he saying then that the reason the person is sick is because they've sinned in some way. And now they're being punished for their sins. And so they need to confess their sins if they're not going to be punished anymore so they can be healed. Well, that, the Bible does talk about that. There are sins that can bring sickness upon you. But this passage doesn't say that. And I think more broadly, we would just say, if you have an ailment and you bring the elders, it is an opportunity Is there anything in your life that you've needed to talk to your elders about? Are there sins that are hidden in there? And to say, here's an opportunity to talk to my elders and to not just talk about my physical healing, but also what is happening in my soul. And why is that? Why take this as an opportunity to do that? Because physical ailments awaken us to spiritual reality. And I, I saw that w- with my own uh, father who passed away about a year and a half ago. My dad spent most of his life not as a Christian. He he became a Christian late in life. And even when he became a Christian, having Jesus as his Lord was not natural for him. He was a very confident, self-made man. And he would even say things after he was a Christian, like, Jesus isn't going to tell me what to do. And I'd be like, yeah, I think he is going to tell you what to do. And uh, But it wasn't until... His health really started to fail, and he got weaker, and he couldn't work, and the Lord humbled him. And it was at that point he became a member of this church. It was at that point he says, I'm not going to miss worship. I'm going to be in God's house. It was at that point he says, what is God telling me to do with the life I have left, and I want to obey him in it. It's because this, the, the physical ailments became a pathway to spiritual healing. And that's why we need to be on mission right now in a culture that has fear of a virus, fear of death, fear of sickness. The Lord uses all of these things to draw people to himself. And so when we say that the the church is a house of healing, it's not just purely physical healing, it's spiritual healing. Jesus cares for the whole person. And we're a people, we're as Christians, what the early Christians were, they were people who were not afraid to die. They were people who trusted that God provides for their physical provision and what they needed. And they were people who believed that if they confessed their sins, their guilt and shame could be washed away by Jesus. And it is all of that is what James means by you can find healing in in Christ in the house of God. And when that happens, it changes your life. And so that's the, the third thing we learn about the church is, is not only that it, it's a house of prayer and a house of healing, but la- lastly it is a house of righteousness. And that word righteousness, when you hear that in the Bible, you, do, you don't want to think about the righteous as just people who kind of are rule followers or do-gooders. You know, they keep their nose clean. A, a righteous person in the Bible is a community leader. The righteous in, in a town or something would be the people who are wise Who are generous and who provided moral leadership for the people in the the community. And our culture right now needs moral leadership profoundly. And so, this, James says in verse 16 the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, prophet Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James says that because Elijah was a righteous man, his prayers were effective. Now that raises another question for us, because some of you might hear that and say, okay, so does God only answer my prayers, or listen to my prayers, if I'm righteous and holy, and that can create a real obstacle to your prayer life. If you think I can only come to God and talk to him if I've been really holy and righteous and read my Bible and praying and doing enough good things, and if I'm sinful, I'm not sure I can really come to him. And I will say, overwhelmingly, in my Christian life, I've been amazed at how willing God is to hear my prayers. Even when I feel like I have not been faithful or not been walking with him, he is glad for his children to come and talk to him. So what is James talking about when he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful? Well, earlier in in James chapter 4, James says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, there are certain prayers that you and I can ask for God where God's a loving father and he says, you know, I can't give you that. You know, if you're like, I want to be rich, and and he knows that will just make you proud and drive you away from him, he's not going to make you rich if it's going to, you know, that wouldn't be the loving thing to answer that prayer. So the loving Father does not answer all of our prayers. And uh, being righteous doesn't mean that you just follow all the rules. Being righteous means you have come to love the things that God loves. And when you love what God loves, you begin to pray in accord with his word, in accord with God's wisdom. And when you're praying in accord with God's word, God can be like, yes, that's all the stuff I love. I'm open-handed with all that. And then you find your prayers are being answered far more because you're, as James might say, you're asking rightly. And, uh, and most of us know people who are particularly close to the Lord. And we know it's such a blessing when that person says they're going to pray for us. We're like, wow, they That person is intimate with the Lord and it's a blessing for them to pray for us. Well, what we are is a whole community of those kind of people. That all the people that you know in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your families, they now know you who are close to the Lord and have a relationship and have access to the Lord and can pray for them. And so we are a whole community who are being formed in righteousness to love the things that God loves and to know what to ask him. And, of course, the Bible says that ultimately there, there is one righteous person who is at the center of our community whose desires are perfectly aligned with his father's. And in, in uh, 1 John 2, John says a passage that sounds a lot like James. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father." We have someone praying for us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the righteous one. He's the community leader. (laughs) He's he's the one who's wise and and, and generous and provides moral leadership uh, for us. And and you see that all of those themes are tied together in that verse in, in 1 John about prayer. He's an advocate for us about healing. You know that if anyone has sin, come to Jesus. He will heal you. And the righteous, because Jesus is the righteous one. And so ultimately, we need the church because Jesus is here. So it is because Jesus is here that we are what uh, the world needs now. A house of prayer, a house of healing, and a house of righteousness. So let us be what God has called us to be. Let's pray together.